every year, somewhere many years ago, when we come into the new year, we explore what um, a New Year's revelation is really all about, not just a resolution about how we might improve our lives, but a revelation about what the Lord is desiring to emphasize for all of us in the way we're growing in our faith. So one year from now, we're all going to be stronger in the Lord. Can I get an amen? One year from now, we're going to understand more completely who God's designed us to be, individually as well as congregationally. <clears throat> so um, what we've learned is there are some things that kind of become um, more of a sacred treasure that God reveals. There are some, some seasons and meals that God prepares that are meals that sustain us in that particular season. And then there are other meals that we actually should perpetuate, come back to. We see in Scripture constant are returning to various harvests and feasts and celebrations to remind the Israelites of that which God has done and the definition that he has given them personally, the identity that they're to rehearse. So in many respects, that's what these first five weeks of uh, the year are always about. There are five key things that we come back to, and we visit them very specifically and very strategically, very methodically. All of our community groups as they begin to convene uh, again, we'll introduce you to our leaders and you'll see the brochures on all the seats today that you, where you can discover a, a group right after this service. I would invite you, if you are not connected or involved or you're wanting to know a little bit more just about how to find your way into being more of a part of the Destiny family, then I would invite you to follow us right out those doors upstairs for what we call Discovering Destiny. It'll be right after this uh, service and for those of you who are online with us, we've made this opportunity available for you. They're posting a link for you during this service that you can click on, be able to access that via Zoom. Uh, but we want to help people discover what um, steps and strategies and stages of really growing in their relationship with the Lord looks like as a part of a family. And this is what we know: the five really key things. Num number one, God is not just loving. You do understand God is love. And so when we begin with the characteristics of God beginning to characterize our lives, the most um, central part of the identity of God is love. So that's where we always begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so our first core value as a church family is that we are outrageously loving people. Not merely loving, but outrageously loving. And so this is the progression of these five ideas for us. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. Would you read this with me? And let's all say it out loud. If you can pop it back up there. Everybody say it with me. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. Now, I know that's a mouthful, and not everybody's going to memorize the whole paragraph, um, but what we, what we do and what I want to encourage you to understand is we center around these five ideas, outrageously loving, passionately pursuing. Come on, the pursuit of God should mark your life. Um, irrationally giving, the generous nature of God emerging out of who you are, 
and consistently submitting to the desires of God. I mean, what does that really look like? That'll be week four. And then effectively discipling others, mobilizing the people. You know, shepherds don't, make, don't give birth to sheep. Sheep give birth to sheep. And so we'll, we'll look at this progression of these five ideas week by week. And today we want to talk about what it means to be outrageously loving. So let me ask you this question. I want you to reflect on this just as we get started together. Are you a loving person? And so first you kind of evaluate maybe some of your shortcomings and some of your strengths. You kind of put the scale out there. I want you to think, do people around you view you as a loving person? You know, how do you feel about yourself in terms of your capacity and your ability to love? And today I want to tamper with that just a little bit because I want to encourage you not just to evaluate, am I a loving person, but I want you to evaluate even more so, am I an outrageously loving person? Like the love that I carry in the lives of uh, people around me would be considered outrageous by many standards because I'm so given to the cause of Christ and the agenda of the Lord. So it was interesting as I was praying into this, you know, every year I don't Uh, I don't want us just to give you five staple messages that we come back to every year. What we look at are some key ideas that we center around, but every year the revelation is fresh, each one of these uh, mornings. And today I just felt like the Lord was saying, he's going to dismantle uh, some things within us in regard to rejection. And I want us to see exactly uh, how much perhaps rejection has had an impact in our lives. How many of you have ever felt the sting of rejection before? in any capacity. I mean, it's a very natural thing for us to experience in a fallen world. So understand this, it is difficult to be outrageously loving when you've been painfully rejected at times in your life. Being painfully rejected can really impact uh, your life. Now, now this is interesting, and I just wanna encourage you, this is is fresh, hot off the press, just happened uh, last night. Some people just take things the wrong way. How many know that's true? Some people just take things the wrong way. And so Faith is working last night at uh, the hospital, and, and Lexi is cooking, and Tracy and I, we've just celebrated our anniversary. We got married between Christmas and New Year's, which really wasn't a very good idea because it's so jumbled into everything, it's hard to celebrate it on purpose. But, but we've, you know, romance is in the air and, and, uh, and I'm standing in the kitchen and there's Tracy and I walk over and I just kind of put my hand on her back and on her, on her stomach there, on her front, and, and, I, and I said something along these lines, I just love you so much, happy anniversary, and I kissed her. And, and then I said, you're as sweet, and I didn't want to just be cliche, you're as sweet as honey. You know, how many of you know that just wouldn't matter, it wouldn't mean to me. But I, I made a big mistake, because I said, you're as sweet, and I couldn't think of anything, I thought, as a marshmallow. <laughs> to which she stepped back and she said, she said, you put your hand on my stomach and you call me a marshmallow. <laughs> and I was expecting at any moment for her to say, well, you're as cute as the Pillsbury Doughboy. But she didn't say anything other than I got in trouble for calling my wife a sweet marshmallow yesterday. I mean, you know, some people just take things the wrong way. I mean, come on. It was really sincere, from the heart. There was this guy, and it was really interesting, uh, as, I, as I read this true story, a guy had given his life to the pursuit of his doctorate 
And his goal was to simply be um, to teach at a university. And, you know, in everything that he had, he had done, worked so hard, labors hard, sacrificed so much. And then he starts applying and he gets this standardized rejection letter. And then he applies and he applies and he applies and he applies. And he got such an abundance of rejection letters of every place he was applying that he grew very frustrated. And this is a true story. He wrote this letter. To, in response to one of his rejection letters. Dear Professor Worthington, thank you for your letter. After careful consideration, I regret to inform you that I am unable to accept your refusal to offer me a position. <laughs> this, this year, I've received an unusually large number of rejection letters. With so many rejection letters coming my way, it is impossible for me to accept them all. Despite Whitson University's outstanding qualifications and previous experience in rejecting applicants, I find that your rejection does not meet my needs at this time. Therefore, I will assume the position as assistant professor in your department this August. I look forward to seeing you then. Best of luck in rejecting future applicants. Sincerely, T.J. Baggins. If only managing rejection were that easy. But it's not. And we do have to understand rejection is just a normalcy in a fallen world. Here's the thing that I want us all to recognize as we are just driving toward what it is to be outrageously loving people. Rejection results in deficiency when you allow it to do so. And deficiency produces dysfunction when you allow it to do so. How many of you know that a child who grows up in a fatherless home, according to statistics that we see, suffers all kinds of dysfunction, deficiency and dysfunction in their life for the rest of their life, yet the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. Therefore, nobody actually has to suffer the dysfunction or deficiency of being fatherless because the father uses his own family, here we are, to father those that don't have a father in the earth. I mean, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying with all of this, but issues of deficiency are natural in a fallen world, and deficiency produces dysfunction automatically in a fallen world, but you and I live in a a fallen world serving a risen king that reverses every curse actually into a blessing, not removing it, reversing that curse into a blessing. Can somebody amen and shout in addition to Rosalia this morning? Because we, come on, we got to embrace this today. Would you? Come on, we just embrace that God is reversing the curse in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Rosalia. I preach better when you're here. You're not allowed to miss church. God's purposes for you are more powerful than other people's opinions of you. Now, it's, it's sweet and it's nice and it's wonderful to celebrate that, amen, you know, rejection doesn't have to create deficiency and deficiency doesn't have to produce dysfunction and amen, we clap our hands and we celebrate. But what you have to understand and what I have to understand is it's more than just an idea that we're celebrating. It's a transforming revelation that we must learn to digest so that we have this capacity to give a God-given response rather than a man-produced reaction to difficulty and circumstances that come our way. 
Now that's a mouthful and it's easy for me to say that and I'm personally having to navigate through some things right now in my life that I'm having to make sure that I am refusing a man-made reaction that I am very capable of but rather respond with a God-given response to the situation, to see things from God's perspective. And I, I thought about this this morning, I hadn't really put it into my notes, but, but it's just so fitting. Um, one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in my life is the story of how Smith Wigglesworth became a Christian. And Smith Wigglesworth is this phenomenal revivalist um, who just impacted our world in his life with, with amazing, amazing impact. He, he traveled and spoke, and, and uh, in fact, I was speaking in one of the cities in England where he spoke, and he stood in the streets, and he, he preached in this particular city, and, um, and before the event, I wanted to arrive early, and for about an hour, two hours, I just walked all the streets of this little community just knowing that my feet were touching the ground where this general from God stood in these streets and preached the gospel. Uh, it, was, it was just a, a moment for me of realizing this is a guy who has documented illustrations or situations where he actually prayed for somebody who was dead and they began to breathe again and came back to life. Multiple, I mean, it's amazing what, if you've not looked into the life of Smith Wigglesworth, I would suggest it, but the, the way he came to Christ is what's so remarkable to me. He had no regard for God. He was a gruff, very unloving individual, very angry. And his wife became a Christian. She became a radical Christian. She started going to church, which he didn't like. He told her one evening as she was preparing to go to an evening meeting, uh, you're not going to church tonight. To which she responded, I love you, but I am going to church tonight. I must honor God even above honoring my husband. That's the whole theological discussion that I'm not making a point on. We have to break that down later in how to manage when you are unequally yoked and how to walk that out. But in this particular instance, that was her response. She left the house in anger. He couldn't believe that she left, so he changed the locks on the door. After church, she comes home. Her key no longer works. She can't get in the door and it's cold outside, he will not let her in. The newspaper is off to the side, which she opens up and lays down on the porch and sleeps under the newspaper, just trying not to shiver all night long. The next morning, he comes and opens the door, and he walks out on the porch, he steps up behind her, and he just kicks her in the back. And he said, get up, I need my breakfast before I go to work. Now, before I go on with the story, how many of you right now are thinking, human reaction? His wife stands up, kisses him on the cheek, and says, I'll get right to that. Walks past him into the open door in the house, and that moment changed his life forever as he realized there's a love that she possesses that I cannot comprehend. And he gave his life to Christ because of an outrageous act of love. So it's easy for us to say we're going to give a response or rather than a reaction. But the only way we can truly find our way into that is to die to ourselves. You know, I've noticed this. I've been around people who have deceased and, and I've done a few funerals in my time and I've noticed that Every dead person I have ever been around is utterly unoffendable. I mean, you can say anything you want about the person, they will not be offended. 
So how easily offended are you? Because to die in Christ is to begin to lay that down and his transforming love then begins to do a work that's beyond your own natural capabilities. So to love God is to devote your life to experiencing God's love, to enjoying God's love. And as you're experiencing that on the inside, it transforms you profoundly in such a way that it begins to impact the world around you. It's it's not by gritting your teeth in sheer determination, I'm going to love you. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's not going to work. It's not determination and strength and power. It's humility and brokenness and death that produces the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. And this is vital that you understand what God's opinion of you is as your first and foremost indicator of your identity because if not, then people will tamper on a deep level when they have other opinions of you. I just want to say this statement loud and clear. When you settle the issue of God's love for you, you will finally stop living for the praise of others. And the disapproval of your critics will no longer slow you down. There's going to be praise. Yeah, go ahead. Praise God. We just receive that over our lives. There's going to be praise and affirmation that will come your way, and there's going to be criticism and condemnation that will come your way. But when you settle the issue of where your identity is actually born from and who you are in him and in his embrace, that's where you find your significance And you allow him to internally. This is why it's so important when we're talking about turn the page and get into the word. And and we had a a cell on Bibles. And Tracy mentioned uh, last week, you know, we're just making these Bibles available at cost or less just to try and get them into your hands. She showed me, she ordered these boxes of these Bibles this week and showed me. And I was looking at them and I was just like, man, these are so nice. I want one. So now I'm going to be snagging one of those journal Bibles uh, for myself. But just any type of avenue for you to consistently get into the Word. Do you know that many mornings whenever I get up and spend time in prayer and spend time in the Word, I'll get there, and there's a sense of delight in the presence of the Lord. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's also a sense of, um, of opposition when you get before the Lord. Like, your flesh is tired when you're getting up out of the bed, and there's opposition that exists there. You get up and you're thinking about other things that need to happen, and there's opposition there, right? And so whenever that opposition starts trying to have a conversation with me, then I just press into it even deeper and say, I'm going to take just a little bit longer than I was, opposition. Do you want to continue to have this conversation? When I fast and pray and I get really hungry and my body starts whining and complaining to me, uh, I I think of this man who fasted, first time he'd ever fasted the whole day, and uh, and as soon as he decides he's going to fast, he gets a phone call, hey, can I take you to a steak dinner? I mean, no, that's common. And so he spends the whole day walking, uh, you know, by people eating food and smelling and all day it's like his body's just whining and at the end of the day he came before the Lord he said God I just give you this day of fasting and praying it's been so difficult on my flesh so I'm just going to speak to my flesh you had such a hard time with this today you were so cantankerous and and you were so loud and and so complaining that we're going to do this again tomorrow and I don't want to hear another word about it You understand, you've got to learn to step in to the opposition and address it and deal with it so that your spirit man gets strong. There's a spirit man inside of you I'm calling to today. Some people are so given to their flesh, they don't have any strength in their spirit, and every ounce of opposition actually holds them back from pressing in. 
But I believe God is raising up a people in this particular hour that are strong in the Lord, strong in their spirit. God is inviting us in to a very deep and intimate place of fellowship with him in the next season of the church. God is inviting us in to a very deep and intimate place of fellowship with him. Where through the course of every day, we're sensing the nearness of God, hearing the voice of the Lord. Do you believe that? Not only are we to be taught by God, but all of our sons and daughters will be taught by God. I've just been rehearsing those verses, realizing we're actually here not just to experience what God's desiring for us to experience, but to establish a legacy of that experiential expression that other people are going to walk in in a greater measure because we paid a certain price. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 is not on your notes or anywhere, but you might just write it down. It says, anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So how did Jesus walk? Because anybody who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did according to the Bible. Anyone who claims to live, it's like Billy Graham once said, we seem to only talk about the sacrifice of Christ. We never really talk about the sacrifice he expects of us. (laughs) I'm so thankful Jesus died that we might have life. But he did that to model what you and I are to reflect in the way we're supposed to walk this thing out. Anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And the kingdom expands as a result of our sacrificial expression. So how did Jesus walk? John chapter 12, verses 49 to 50 are such interesting scriptures. I've focused a lot on these personally in this last year, just reflecting on what this really means. But Jesus himself, he said, I have not spoken on my own. Like he's Jesus. If there's anybody I want talking to me, it's Jesus. But when he's walking on the earth, he's demonstrating the lifestyle that you and I are supposed to experience. So he said, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Not just what to say, but how to say it. And I know that his, com- that his command leads to eternal life. But everybody just say eternal life. We need to understand eternal life and what that really is today. But, but he goes on, he says, so I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. Jesus walked in such a deep place of fellowship with the Father that he did not even speak from his own initiative. I mean, this is really huge. This is what you and I are to experience. This is how you and I are to walk in relationship with our Heavenly Father, by the Holy Spirit constantly shaping the internal reality that exists within us that has the power to transform the world around us. No matter what the circumstances are, we really can respond rather than react. And I want you to think, I've just been in a conversation with a group of leaders months ago, a man made this statement in passing, and I've thought about it often, just come back to it, trying to really understand it, but hanging on the cross. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, suffering unimaginable pain, anguish. I mean, I I, I did this study once on the medical description of the crucifixion. It's horrific. Beyond like what we can comprehend. When you start to look at medically what's going on in the systems of the human body and how strategically the Romans were about um, absolutely torturing these criminals to death 
It, it's really horrific. But here's Jesus suffering beyond our wildest imagina- imagination. And he remains under full control all the way to the very end when he says these words. Unto you, Father, I commit my spirit. In other words, I'm under full control until it's time to let my spirit depart from this body who's screaming at me right now. The self-control that he carried, the awareness of the perspective of the Heavenly Father, the constant state of communion and communication and interaction with the Heavenly Father, that is something you and I are supposed to embrace and understand and experience and express. How many of you know I'm talking about going really deep? I'm not talking about trying to be nice religiously so we can represent him well. I'm talking about dying to yourself so he can live through your surrendered available life and prove the resurrection power of God exists within humanity today because of what Jesus did and because of our willingness to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this, these two words I had you repeat in the other portion of Scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Aren't you thankful? Like, for real, aren't you thankful? But what is eternal life? Have you ever thought about what this is? Is it just living forever? I mean, I... I you know, eternal life. What is eternal life? What is this really about? Jesus makes it very clear in another portion of Scripture. And I just want to point it out to you as he defines this for us. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God intimately will change everything about you. Anybody here used to be one way, you came to the cross of Jesus Christ, and now you're another way? Anybody relate to that? I know there are still those tendencies that try to hang on, but how many of you in this room have experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ, our risen King, that has changed your life forever? Come on. That is the kingdom of God at work in the earth. That is eternal life that they may know you. And I love uh, Daniel 11.32 that actually says, the people who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. The people who know their God. That word know is not just to tip your head at God, show up at church from time to time and worship. This is a know God intimately as a way of life. It's the same word, Y-A-D-A, in the Hebrew language that we find in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve and she conceived. I'm talking about a knowing God on a an intimate level that actually reaches deep within your existence and begins to transform everything about the way you think, about the way you feel, about what you know, about the way you process. When somebody kicks a woman in the back and she can stand up and kiss him on the cheek, she's living from an entirely different plane of revelation than the existence of what's taking place in the world around her. You have that capacity that exists within you. Jesus hanging on the cross, he could not, he could not suffer the agonizing pain and remain under control if he was not a man absolutely 
absolutely given to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. And then it was time, and he said, this body has taken all this body can take, and now I'm going to leave the tent of this body and be in the presence of my God. And in doing so, I will release the power of the Holy Spirit then to come upon the earth and to awaken the body of Christ that all humanity will be able to walk in the strength and the power and anointing that I have known all my life on this earth. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, Father. This is eternal life, that we flourish right where we are. Eternal life, forced into the confines of the life that we're living, expands the life that we live in crazy amazing ways. That is eternal life to be outrageously loving people. We must embrace the grace of God and receive the love of God for the work his love does within us as opposed to give our religious best to try to represent him well. Those are two very different trains of thought. How many of you in this room would admit, I'm not very loving sometimes. Can I just say, how many of you admit, I'm downright rude sometimes. Can I just say? <laughs> I, I actually was talking to a children's pastor, and, and she said, I just feel so wretched. Sometimes I just don't even like children. <laughs> You're a kid's pastor. <laughs> You might want to become a worship leader. I don't know. What? But no, what I said to the person was, what you have to understand is this is not about you discovering within you the capacity that you possess and the strength that you have, but rather it's dying to yourself and admitting what you're not. You'll never know what you need till you admit what you're not. Once you admit what you're not, then you begin to know what you need. And so when you admit, I'm not very loving sometimes, then you know that your need is not to be the strongest expression of love that you can possibly express, but it's actually in weakness where you're made strong as you surrender to the loving nature of God because you don't have it in you to do what God's asking you to do. He's asking you to do the impossible. And the only way you can do the impossible is to surrender more completely to him and allow him to do that through your surrendered available life. This is the gospel. Learning to live in God's presence as a way of life will transform everything about your heart, everything about your home, everything about your workplace, everything about your world. Learning to live in God's presence, to experience his presence in a moment where circumstances are clamoring for your attention but pausing and stepping back from that, disengaging and just allowing the Lord's presence to be the shaping variable on the deepest level of your life. See, you were created with all these internal mechanisms that actually get activated when you stand in the presence of God. You were created with all these internal mechanisms. There are things that go on within you. Uh, the girls, this last week, they said, uh, Mom, Dad, when was the last time you had a big fight? And so we started kind of talking about 
discussions that we've had over the course of time. And one of those discussions, uh, the girls said, Tracy and I wasn't even in the house that we live in now, so that's how far back we had to go, which I was glad for, uh, before we had a blowout, you know. But, but they said, we were standing in the kitchen, and one of us talked, 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 and we're both very intense people. I'm a preacher, she's a lawyer, we don't have many friends, and we're both really loud, okay? It's kind of the way it is. And so we had gone really loud, and, and the girls are sitting in there, and I realized, because they were pretty little, they were in the living room, and, they were, and I realized they're watching us, and I said, this conversation is not happening in this part of the house anymore. Let's go to our bedroom. And so we start walking out, and, and I think Lexi described, we're walking down the hallway, and you, she can hear the doors all shutting behind us. Every door that we could possibly shut. And then we went right back to this mode. And they could hear it even all the way up there with the closed doors. How many of you know there was something going on in the hearts of our children when that was taking place that was not healthy and wonderful? I mean, it, it happens, okay? It happens. But it wasn't healthy and wonderful. In, 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 in retrospect or, or contrary to that situation, how many of you know when I come in and I gently put my hands on my wife's back and tell her she's as sweet as a marshmallow? <laughs> There's something healthy. <laughs> I shouldn't have gone back there. There's something healthy that's being unlocked in the heart of a child. You understand what I'm saying? When children are around parents that are exhibiting that type of love and interaction, mechanisms that exist within them are unlocking and activating that they can't even understand, but the world's just a wonderful place. Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of God in such a way that that is happening on the deepest level of your possible existence? <laughs> Serving Jesus isn't a mere conversation or a mere conversion, it's a conversation. And we learn to walk in that conversation. That's why he's the word sent to redeem the world. God is saying, I'd like to have a word with you. So I'd like to invite you into a deeper place of that conversation. I'm going to read a verse of scripture in a moment. But I want to do this um, recognizing our community group leaders in this place and the role that they serve, which is a vitally important role to the true discipleship mechanism of the house. So I want to say to the group leaders that are in this particular service, those of you that are online, we honor you, we thank you, we value you, we appreciate you, and we're a better church family because of this pastoral network of community group leaders that are just really ministering into the lives of people around. So I want to ask if you're a community group leader, would you mind just standing to your feet we want to recognize who those key individuals are in this room. And first we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your heart to serve this church family in a profound and wonderful way. And I want to ask if everybody would just stand to your feet. The worship team could come back up. And as we stand here shoulder to shoulder, I want to read this particular verse of Scripture from the Amplified. And I want to invite you to 
allow something to be digested. You know, how many of you have ever gone to um, a nice restaurant to have a meal and you notice the ambient music that was taking place? There's something about that music that helps us enjoy the meal, right? There's just atmosphere. So I'm going to ask, um, Pat's going to play a little bit of music for the meal. And I, I want you to really prepare your heart to digest something. As I read this verse of Scripture, it's such a great portion of Scripture. In fact, Joe Gascoigne from England is um, probably online with us today. He sent me a message this week saying that he tunes in with us routinely. But he introduced me to this verse when he was here for a year of ministry training with us at Destiny. And it impacted me. I, I've rehearsed it in places of prayer, and I, I just felt it was to be what I'm to challenge you with today, that we might know and experience his love so that others might know the expression of his love that comes from our lives that can have a transforming effect. Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified. This is all on the blog. You can go look at it uh, later so you don't have to feel the need to try and write. Just receive. Philippians 3.10 For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him I don't know what your purpose is to know him and in knowing him so much is unlocked within your life. My determined purpose is that I may know him. Come on, would you just surrender to that? I want you just to think about the deepest sense of purpose that you can possess. Just bring that before him because it's all wrapped up in the song that we were singing as we stepped into this message that we're about to go back into. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't want other things more than I want the presence of God as a way of life. Because it's in that that I begin to experience the outrageously loving nature of God that transforms everything that I am. For my determined purpose is that I may know Jesus that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him. Wherever you are on this journey of knowing Jesus, I just want to ask you to submit your heart to take a step forward. Maybe you're online or on campus right now and this journey really hasn't ever even officially begun in your life. Maybe you've just been mildly interested in the things of God but I want you to know, even if you're just mildly interested in the things of God, He is passionately interested in you. And so I want to ask you, wherever you are on this journey, if you're willing to take a step, whether that's a beginning step, I want to accept Christ today, or whether that's another step where I just sense the Lord calling me into a deeper place of pursuing God, I want you just to lift both your hands. Online, I would invite you to do the same or make a, a digital expression. That's me. Put that on there. But let's respond to him 
as we say, Lord, we want to go deeper. Our, we understand our determined purpose is that we might know you, Lord, that we might progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you as our way of life. And in doing so, everything about that which is within us and the world around us begins to be radically transformed, powerfully so, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's all pray this out loud. A declaration for 2021. Would you say this out loud with me today? Lord Jesus, you came, you lived, and you died. A sacrificial existence is the example you gave us. I accept you're the Savior of the world. And I receive you came to rescue me from my sins. Be Lord of my life. Teach me to walk in the presence of God as my way of life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Eternal life. It's a year of learning more of what it is to live life eternally even while we're on the earth an eternal perspective beginning to shape who we are i want to ask you for your action point this week purpose to go deeper in your pursuit of god share the what when and where like a specific thing how are you going to do this how are you going to go deeper this tuesday morning will be our first morning prayer uh, Randy will actually be leading worship Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. when we gather here. That might be one of your what, when, and where's over the course of this next uh, 40 days of really giving yourself. But, but share with somebody for a sense of accountability what, when, and where that you plan to pursue God so that you can encourage them to go deeper as well. Let's go deeper. Let's grow deeper in our pursuit of God and, and, and understand we are the gates. That's our New Year's revelation. We are the gates. Lift up your head, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. We open up the gates. You were born to be a gateway for the King. Don't, don't go six months down the road and be disappointed that your life hasn't become what Jesus wanted your life to become because you didn't open the gates to begin to step into that. Living, loving, serving, giving. Find your space of what it is to worship with your giving. Find the giving stations. Give online. Figure out how to do this. Giving has always been a part of the worship that God has designed for humanity to experience. So do this as unto Him as an expression of worship. Love others as an expression of worship. Find ways to make a meaningful difference. Lord, this is all about you. We acknowledge everything within us, Lord, stands at attention in this moment as we just step into this space of worship together as a family in these final few moments. And we say, Lord, it is all about you.